0: Welcome to Besteck, the public procurement podcast. Today, Marta and I are discussing contract performance conditions and rituals for productivity.
1: Welcome to Besteck, the public procurement podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Willem Janssen and Dr. Marta Andov discuss public procurement law issues, their love of food and academic life. In each episode, Willem, Marta, and their guests, search for answers to intriguing public procurement questions. This is Besteck. Let's dish up public procurement law.
0: So there we are again, like like we promised actually in the last episode already. We made a little bit of a cliffhanger there and we said we're going to get, get back to contract performance conditions, which was your idea, I think. Um, I think
1: it was like so, two episodes ago, actually. Two,
0: ah, I geez, so. yeah. So actually, it's it. I'm going to say this is your fault that we're here today, just like <laughs> you were kind of hesitant. I think in the previous episode to discuss uh, the transfer of compet- competences. That was um, uh, this is more your cup of tea today, but I'm happy to join you. Um, so what we'll be looking at is um, for a main course. We'll be discussing uh, the blurred lines between contract performance conditions and technical specifications and award criteria. So perhaps we'll be looking at uh, what distinguishes them and, and what are issues that arise when we look at those uh, those topics. Um, and uh, I think we're also going to uh, continue a bit of the discussion that we had last time about procrastination. And we're doing it perhaps in a bit more of a positive light. We're looking at rituals for productivity, right? So uh, some aspects might return, but uh, I look forward to also hearing about how you structure your day to be very productive um uh, and and perhaps you're also interested in hearing about my day, but we'll get we'll get, we'll get back to that. Um <laughs> uh, the
1: food parts, right? <laughs> the,
0: but we look I look forward to uh, uh it's nice to chat again and I look forward to uh, to discussing this topic uh, today. So just to to um kick off straight away with like the legal specy uh stuff, um Technical specifications, award criteria, and contract performance conditions are obviously regulated by the, by the directive. We're in Directive 2014-24-EU, um, and the starting point is Article 70, which uh, displays uh, whatever the directive says about these conditions for the performance of contracts. And uh, in true fashion, uh, and also requested by you beforehand, I will quote the article and try to sound like a, uh, like a newsreader again. <laughs> so what does this article say? Um, it, it refers to contracting authorities may lay down special conditions relating to the performance of a contract, provided that they are linked to the subject matter of the contract within the meaning of Article 67, Section 3, and indicated in the call for competition or in the procurement documents. Those conditions may include economic, innovation-related, environmental, social, or employment-related considerations. And that's all. That's what the directive says about these contractual conditions. Not a lot, uh, but it does cause some issues in terms of uh, interpretation, which we'll be looking at uh, uh, today. to, to structure our thoughts, perhaps we'll um, look at it this way. First, we'll look at uh, uh, contract performance and technical specifications, then we'll tackle award criteria, and then we'll uh, look towards the future, uh, uh, future focus, and also perhaps a bit about enforcement. Um, do you want to kick off with the first one?
1: Sure. So I think it's a couple words of introduction. Um, when this becomes really interesting, um, the wording of the directive refers to contract performance conditions. Those conditions also are very often referred to as a contract performance clauses. They take form of a contractual clause. So besides sustainability, my second area of preference in context of public procurement, right? Intersection between contract law and 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 public procurement. So this is um actually a really interesting conversation because it brings both of those those loves of mine loves. um into one. I thought the um, was
0: your first love, but anyway that's a it's it's kind third of it, that's, the, that's third the third one. one. <laughs> it's kind of uh it's kind of your in-house and public public cooperation, right? Is that fair to yeah, say? Yeah. So yeah, we meet in sustainability, but we have our, you know, our preferred cake on the side.
1: For sure. For sure. I do like to look at specific um, private law contractual aspects. So in this regards, I think the contract performance conditions are quite interesting, right? What is the main difference between the previous laws and the new directive is that contract Uh, performance clauses or conditions, they used to not have a reference to a requirement of a link to the subject matter, which at least in theory opened up the door of putting several of the things, uh, particularly in in sustainability area up there. Um, Now uh, that gate, so to speak, has been uh, closed or at least tightened, uh, the introduction of the requirement of link to the subject matter has been introduced. And um, in this relation, uh, then it brings a very interesting question, and uh, namely that is, well, what they are, those contract performance conditions and um, how much independence they truly have versus how much they need to be um, actually interrelated With other um, aspects of procurement process, Um, as you mentioned, we will be looking at technical specification award criteria and some aspects of contract modification today. Um, What's interesting, sorry to to
0: interrupt, I mean, this is really where public procurement law actually does it. This is not about competition anymore, right? No. This is uh, this is clearly about the contract, which generally is governed by national law, and that's why it's also interesting to see this this subject matter of the contract entering here. Is uh, yeah, this is uh, and this is where my Dutch came through. I said yeah, <laughs> uh, yes, um, uh, uh, yeah. I've I've always looked at this as uh, an interesting article in the directive, which is predominantly focused on this competitive process, right? Mm. And and here we're really entering the domain of the cooperation following that uh, uh, competitive process. So that's why I've always looked at this as with a certain amount of interest
1: i think that up here also um one of our good colleagues and devoted listener albert <laughs> would probably i would probably disagree with you a little bit because the, you could you could definitely look at it here also through lens of competition particularly depending kind of what you put in those contract performance conditions and later on also after the contract is awarded how much you change and what you do in context of those contract performance conditions, that that can have ultimately also impact, right, in, 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 in that regards, for sure. Um, so, contract performance conditions, um, what they are, majority of the examples uh, that are mentioned, if that is in Article 70 or in recitals, uh, ultimately uh, bring us to um, conditions of a social or environmental nature. Uh, They can be elements such as um, in context of social um, and environmental methods of production, right? And that brings us to the Dutch coffee case that we will look into in a second. But they can be aspects also such as employment of persons with disability, fair trade conditions. There can be elements such as uh, delivery packaging, disposal of products, um, work or services, waste minimization, resource efficiency, right? So quite broad. But the catalog, ultimately, what is quite interesting here is that the catalog of the examples that we um, can see is very much focused on sustainability, I would say, social and environment elements. But um, the I article- think,
0: um, just, to, just to add to that, mm-hmm. in the Netherlands, we see a strong focus or almost a standard contract clause to uh, use 5% of the sum of the the, the contract uh, to employ long-term unemployed. Mm -hmm. So as what, you know, social return on investment or which morphed into social return clauses, that's really the Dutch standard approach. That 5% is nearly standard. What's difficult, though, is that that's rarely evaluated. So yeah with a question that's often raised particularly by by our good uh, uh practicing our good friends those practicing lawyers is they say yeah when when um uh when we actually look at this i mean is this something that we should also fulfill this 5% um uh of uh engaging with long term unemployed so that's where it gets uh, difficult so i think what I think is very much necessary in, in all of those in all tenders is to to continuously reevaluate what you're asking, and particularly on these uh, contract performance uh, conditions. Is there's a lot of standardization going on, which is very ineffective. So people um, or public purchasers often just look at the list and they say, "Oh, we'll use this again for this contract," even though that might not be relevant at all.
1: Hmm. You know, standardization in certain areas, we, we seek standardization, right? Um, LCC methodologies, right? Life cycle cost methodologies. We need standardization for sure. Um, labels, a couple other aspects. But I think that um, in all the sustainability issues that we ever actually discuss within that podcast or over dinner, with some wine, it's always we always ultimately come back to the same thing. We need to escape green and social washing and do those things with with a real, little bit of thought, right? Because ultimately, contract performance conditions, uh, even if they are not part of the competitive process, so they are not part of a award criteria as such towards which you give points, they for sure have some sort of uh, cost, right? There is a certain cost that for sure is one way or another incurred within the tenders. And then my point of all of that is you need to evaluate. I mean, evaluate later on when the contracts come to termination and you do audits, you need to look into, did that make sense? Yeah. And if it did great fantastic then you know then you just uh, reassure someone like myself and probably yours that doing sustainable procurement is a great thing but if you don't do that then you give really i think food for thought and ammunition to critics of this approach because well we don't know if that actually has the social benefit or not, right? But my point here that I wanted to just make very briefly is that even though the catalog of examples usually refers to those social and environmental elements, they can also be innovation related. And um, that can relate to to some other things. Uh, but of course, the challenge is that we don't really see much, um, much, Examples on this. One of the examples that actually I came across uh, looking through commentary to the English regulation that has been panned by two of our colleagues, um, Pedro and Albert, they, in their commentary to the regulation 70, the UK one, uh, they actually give as an example of innovation-related performance condition, a requirement to publish in open source the intellectual property developed during contract execution. So that could be an um, innovation-related one, but predominantly social-environmental one. Um, the point that... Um- Arose really as a certain level of 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 challenge where we where we started to struggle a little bit. It's actually a case that comes from uh, from your country, Willem, and that is the Dutch Coffee case. The Dutch Coffee case for the first time introduced this question whether something is a contract performance condition or if something is um, technical specification. I think the border between those two, and that's where I would want to start with our first issue. So if you could share with us in a couple words a little bit what the Dutch Coffee or Max Harvella case or Commission versus Netherlands case, depending which reference you prefer, what that case was about.
0: Yeah. So uh, basically it touched upon the question uh, that I think we see a lot in in a broader scope is we actually know what we want. So we're just going to ask for it, right? So we want a certain type of cartridge, for a printer, we want sustainable coffee that fits uh, into uh, into our policies. And the question is then, can we can we ask for it, right? And um, I think the question that you're asking in 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 this light is that there is a certain blurring of lines here between technical specifications and uh, contract performance, because both are trying to at least scope down what we actually want right um and that makes it difficult for practice
1: for sure and i think that here it's also a lot about debate of interpretation of particular phrases or understandings such as um manufacturing process Right. So, and that is then connected a little bit about where something is ancillary to what we buy versus when something really is a core of that. So, what we learned from uh, Dutch coffee was that fair trade, so the provisions, uh, regard or conditions under which the supplier acquires uh, products from the manufacturer requiring for that. Uh, to be on the basis of fair trade, that that is something of a matter of a contract performance condition, but it's not suitable to be a part of technical specification. And that ties also to interpretation of link to the subject matter, saying that manufacturing procedures or processes can be part um, of of um, link to the subject matter, even if they don't have uh, effect in a physical um sense, right? But not fair trade. And up here um from some of the practice, um fair bit of um criticism aroused around this. Because um the question and I think also um when we discuss environmental issues in 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 our other episodes with um Green Deal or the Article 18.2 when we discuss Very much is also to what extent we moving from the notion of public procurement law regulating how we are to buy to actually starting to dictate what it is that you are buying. Because the argument here is um, someone says, I really want ethically trade coffee. I don't want coffee I want ethically traded coffee and the question is about of course application of subsidiarity principle the question is about discretion of contracting authorities to choose what they want to buy Versus, of course, on the other hand side, protection of the general principles, right? Ensuring that this is not used in a way that is actually giving a preferential treatment or anyhow distorting competition um, or, or um, untransparent, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, of course, Dutch Coffee uh, specifically taught about this um discriminatory form of application of the labels, right? And that's where really the true issue at hand was. But yeah, but Mark we the
0: Max our label in this case. Yeah.
1: Definitely, right? But up here, I think this is the first element that starts to um, starts to really um, show whether it is a condition, whether it is an element that you truly want there because it's a part of your technical specification or it is not, and, and that's where um, the fair trade condition really came into place, because why we have the method of production being understood as perfectly suitable uh, to be regulated by technical specification, the fair trade condition not, uh, not really anymore. And that is then connected, of course, Also with how you distinguish between those provisions, not only in the sense of the scoping, right? So what elements can be part of it, but it's also about the character because assessment and character of technical specification is always there, right? You need to have technical specification and you need to um, be complicit. Uh, You need to to be able to fulfill them, right? You cannot... um, change uh that in any way. But when we look at the contract performance condition where they have a facultative character, right? You can use them, you don't have to. You can have a procurement without having yep. special contract performance conditions. Rare- right.
0: Rarely happens, I find in practice. But yeah, you're right. In in theory you could.
1: Yeah. So then and then the question is when you introduce them, can you change them? Can you change them or not, right? Um, And that brings us to the second question or second issue. So a couple of words, we mentioned a couple of words about Dutch coffee and the technical specification relationship to contract performance condition. And then the second element is about the relationship to award criteria. because if we um if we look um, into, again, the provisions, um, the contract performance conditions uh, should not really be evaluated, right? They are not part of the competitive process. They stay outside. They are rather a form of minimum requirement, right? So it's again, a sort of zero one or pass or fail. Um, you have to this is a minimal condition that whoever wins the contract needs to yeah there's to obey no benefit
0: it. to excelling on these aspects right uh, to, yeah. to continue the, the 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 aspect what i just mentioned of five percent social return including long-term unemployed of course it would be good and perhaps noble and and great if you would do 10 percent, but there's no benefit to it there's no points to be won right
1: Unless you combine it with award criteria. So what you can do, what you could do is, of course, say, let's say the 5% being the minimum requirement that is regulated and then confirmed in the contract performance clause that goes to the contract, as you mentioned. Uh, But then you combine it with award criteria saying that the 5% is the minimum, but then uh, when you go above for every percent or 2%, you get some additional point in the competitive process, right? And that way you award as as part of obviously of the broader award criteria, um, you you would consider uh, that element. So that being somehow combined with award criteria. Now, with that is also connected one more element that I was really interested to hear your opinion, Um, because where I see a potential and I see potential for good and I at the same time see, of course, a potential of a certain level of risk is specifically if we're looking at some of those sustainable issues, um, you may be dealing with a market that is not ready. Right. there is not enough competition on the market in in regards to some specific elements let's just take a particular sector um clean production clean or or some type of manufacturing with um with um, very Coal high involved. level of yeah co2
0: yeah. so emissions are high it's 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 a usually these mark they're, they're long-standing industries right they, they they started in the or at least romantically the 1850s and they've still been doing they've been doing it ever since
1: the same way, right? So let's say that you want to transition, you want to support, again, if that's governmental or organizational policies of, let's say, reduction of CO2. Uh, But you you are aware that if you would include it in award criteria, technical specification, etc., you might get one, maybe two um, bids. You realize that that's, from competition perspective, um, really problematic. So rather than bringing that this way, i would see a contracting authority taking a quite proactive role in creating markets right so when you could try to bring this into contract performance conditions, saying that whoever wins the contract let's say within five years need to transition to clean manufacturing that is let's say in line with the requirements of i don't know particular label let's say or particular standard uh, this, of course, would to be um, described to certain detail um, within the contract, right? Yeah, and certain where I
0: milestones see, would need yes, to be included.
1: Absolutely. And when I see, you know, the the positive of that is that then each time that such a procurement would be re- repeated in years to come, hopefully, systematically, you could grow the pool of the suppliers who would be able to meet at some point this as a requirement, right? So that's where I see this as a a quite interesting possibility. At the same time, of course, there is a risk because um, this is something that you look for for future. It's not something that is in place. And and, and, um, what if you cannot then deliver some aspect of it? And that then directly connects us with the third issue, which is um, contract performance conditions and rules on modification, right? Um, so how then? Let's say in this example that that we created um, together here. Let's say that it's a year five, five and a half, and the supplier did not meet that standard. What then? Right? Is that leading us to the need to terminate the contract? Um, how that looks in context of Article 72? Propor- proportionality-wise, right? Is that an issue of such an extent um, that, that again, triggers the issues of material change under Article 72 or not? And, and that is uh, then connected also one one element of that could be this uh, conditions looking for future, but another going back, you know, to Dutch coffee, right? At some point, you realize the coffee that you're paying and you're getting is not sustainable. You probably won't really taste it, right as such. but
0: Well, I have to I- say I took two uh, barista courses, <laughs> a home barista courses in the summer last year. So from now on, I do actually you know, taste the difference. You but, Yeah, know. there you go. Okay, so, so we're not getting the coffee models,
1: we want. For all us morals that are not the coffee fanatics.
0: Not worthy of coffee. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah, okay. the,
1: the, the sustainable coffee, right? Never mind. At some point you realize that the premium probably that you pay for the fact that you receive a sustainable coffee is not there anymore. So this, this element... Um, to what that le- and and of course it then depends whether that element has been described within I would say technical specification, or whether it is solely maybe contract performance condition. What effect that ultimately has on on the rules of modification? Because I think if it was described within technical specification, I think that that goes to the core of a contract. So. We have, in other words, much bigger issue. Um, having in mind, let's say, if you have contract performance condition that was not part of the. Of the competition, maybe there is some more scope. But then, on other hands, then you look at pretexts that maybe if that contract performance conditions would not be there in the first place, you have a different bidders that actually would bid for it, which is again yeah. like a problematic, clear, right? clear yeah. that would
0: be a clear modification, right? Absolutely. So, so I, I mean, I think what's what's interesting is this. This also touches on a broader issue: is that. Is everything that's being promised in a tender, in whatever phase, or uh, what's, whether it's required in a technical specification, if it's in a contract clause, or if it's actually something that you said, "Well, I'm excelling on this. I'll give you more than what you're asking for than my competitors in award criteria." I think there's that's a general issue, right? Is the 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 enforcement of whatever you've promised is that actually materializing? Because in a way, it's often also not in the interest of a contracting authority to cancel the contract after five years of decent performance. Absolutely. Uh, that maybe was up to scratch, but didn't actually uh, achieve the the sustainability uh, uh, standards that were promised, or didn't actually meet that 5% criterion. So in a way, it's it's one um, and uh, a recent article in Public Procurement Law Review also refers to that, is transparency of modifications, right? Um, what is What do we do with that? That's relatively untouched. But in the end, uh, that is what would spark litigation from competitors. And um, particularly if we look at yeah, uh, you know, including broad uh, uh, contract performance conditions in, in tenders, that's something that we would need to look at, right? And perhaps we could fix it by making them very explicit also on what would happen. Like when you said, you mentioned like, yeah, okay, could lead to a modification of contract, but pe- perhaps if you don't meet those contractual conditions, perhaps you would introduce a, a fine system, right? That's when you would need to pay up, right? That would make it a very clear, ex- expectable, um, and then would cause, I think, less problems in terms of other concepts within the law.
1: Mm, I think that that's because it's again, you know, contract performance condition. I think that that's possible. Those are options that we discuss are possible, but I think that it requires again a more detailed and careful drafting of, let's say, review clauses. Right? What happens also in case if you're not able to meet some of yep. those uh, elements? Because if it's a uh, transparency i think it's clear and what's the wording of review clause in 72 clear and unequivocal you univoc- oh, see that's where my Univocally. english breaks it? right, It's something it's uh, some aspect of in other words in plain plain language it needs to be very clear and transparent review clause yeah. right then i think that that can be somehow uh, defended but um ultimately ultimately that will that would uh that would be very uh, important to consider um and that uh, just to wrap up our conversation on on our main um two more um just comments to that in general what you put in the contract performance uh, conditions um are one of two things if we want to group them or type them. Or they are, um, what we discussed in context of Article 18.2 in our our previous episodes, they may reconfirm an existing legal obligation that just uh, provides an additional layer of contractual enforcement, let's say stating that uh, that contract needs to be performed in accordance with Social Act, Labor Act, X, Y, and Z, um, or um, they are also a contractual form of en- enforcing a certain higher standard than otherwise contractor would not be obliged to do so, and that can be the element, let's say, of this five percent willem if, that you mentioned, But I'm not sure if in in Netherlands that is something in uh, is just a standard clause or that's some sort of mandatory obligation that no, is it's a standard stable. clause yeah yes so yes. Yeah, so that can be a good example right otherwise if you wouldn't have it in a contract you don't have really any any enforcement mechanism right yep. and contract law provide us with 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 some of those things for sure just there needs to be a follow up connection with some sort of penalties uh, of fines uh, for not fulfilling them so that it's in a in a in a context of wrapping up the subject matter i'm always
0: at conferences i love it when people say um or when academics, academics say thank you very much for your contribution please allow me to make two small remarks and then they talk for, five, hour m- talk for five hours uh, but clearly i wouldn't be podcasting with you if you would do those things you didn't so you confirmed my initial hunch Um, I think it's time to move on to uh, what you very uh, poetically referred to as rituals for productivity. Um, Just to recap on uh, what we did in in two two episodes ago, as we looked at uh, procrastination. Uh, Like I said in the introduction, this is perhaps more of a... uh, positive look on onto this subject but i think that there's more to be said about it clearly um so let me just bounce back this beautiful wording of yours what are your rituals for productivity and
1: so again it might be you know a little bit connected with new years or it might be connected with COVID in a context that i really feel like last year sort of happened you know yeah. do you still and feel I really...
0: like we're we're in the like new year phase even though it's already we're already progressed into the year
1: I I think that I will still kind of have that viewpoint probably half year in because I think it's a matter of, you know, trying to kind of gain a feeling not of control because you cannot control it, but rather to sort of really going towards this new reality in 2021 rather than I think that I was very reactive in 2020 because I was constantly waiting for this to be over. And I think that, you know, this year, because we already know that most presumably we really cannot count that this will happen that this will be over anytime soon so how i can structure my days how i can approach my work life in a more mindful um yeah. uh, way to ensure that under these new circumstances i actually can be productive because i was extremely unproductive also probably you know us doing this podcast was something that really helped me out to actually get uh the juice flowing to actually think about procurement research discussing some of those things but in that Context, I got really into looking into some of really, um, first, I looked into some of the really successful people rituals and practices, you know, from Steve Jobs to uh, Obama and who, who goes, you no, know, like really, you know, leading people. But then I got really interesting to learning a little bit more about people that I have a huge amount of respect within our field. And by field, I mean, academia, some of the people that I see are extremely productive, whether, I was very curious whether that is connected, let's say, with the fact that they are, they don't have little children, for example, or families, and that's the reason that they have more time, or whether that is connected with uh, just Personality, like where, where it lies, where you know the, 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 what's the uh, root,
0: What are the roots the, of productivity? Yeah.
1: And I noticed that actually, the more busy people are, those are usually also the people who are extremely productive. It seems that time management is, is, is really crucial. But this very broad intro, then I would try to very briefly be about actually my rituals. I found that, um, for me to have a good working day, I need to wake up early. There's no doubt about it. Even if I really, truly, ultimately, you know, start work, let's say at nine or sometimes even at 10, I need to have a moment for myself. I feel that if I wake up and I kind of within half an hour need to be on calls, Zoom meetings, and let's say some of them are stressful or not particularly pleasant, you know, part of... of work life right then sort of all my day is a bit off balance so I think that really waking up early and having a moment if that is you know to sit and have a tea or coffee and write my to-do list or I thought
0: actually actually, for a moment you were going to say have a glass of wine but that it only happens at the end of the day yeah yeah.
1: (laughs) um and something that I actually tried to do and that's a new thing and for now it. Uh, You know, it's a bit too early to say, but as a part of my ritual, I started, and that's connected with achieving like those bigger goals that we discussed last time um, about procrastination. So I'm trying actually the evening before, I'm trying to write my to-do list for the next day. And then on the day, on the morning of that day, I'm trying to get rid of as you know, sort of get rid of, of the things that I really don't have to do that day. You know, to really boil it down to the true things that I need to achieve in the long run, rather than have a whole day of writing emails and feeling like I'm super important and busy, but I didn't do anything, you know, <laughs> anything valuable, actually. Um, so, yeah, I think early mornings and the second thing that we also already figure out that we are in agreement with, and and I'm not sure under normal conditions that will, that will continue, but I hope so, but I really break up my day currently. Like at 12, 12.30, I go out for an hour. I go out and I need to walk and I need to get some air. And and sometimes I take my notepad with me and I'm thinking about this d- darn book about section chapters, maybe add this and that. Sometimes I have some smart thought during those walks. And some other time I just listen to, you know, music. To the
0: public procurement podcast. Yes, yeah, yes I'm analyzing <laughs> all our
1: mistakes along the way, right? So I think, yeah, for me, crucial morning and breaking out the the day i think those are those definitely contribute what about yourself did you well, created some rituals well you also knew dad so i'm guessing that your world also kind of changed in that context right
0: uh, well yeah clearly i mean what you uh, i mean there's um this like waking up relaxed in the morning when you said that sounded very appealing with a cup of tea <laughs> Um, so, I mean, I don't know how I would create that in the morning, even though it's been an absolute pleasure to have an addition to our family since May last year. So I I would say that there's, um, clearly when you, when with kids that it, it takes up a, a great amount of your time in a very positive way. Um, what I find is a positive aspect because you can also, yeah, you can very much look at, oh, you're tired all the time and all this type of stuff. What's positive is, uh, or at least that's what i found is it requires you to be super focused yeah there is no kids kids do not give in to whatever you want yeah so if you have that half an hour you will use that half an hour because mm. otherwise it's never going to get done and uh that's what i thought was is an interesting uh, or at least that's what happened to me so I've i've gotten more when we last time we talked about uh being procrastinating that's kind of out the window right now mostly because i think look When I pick her up from daycare, that's when she needs my attention. And that's what I also want to give her that attention. So that's, uh, that's interesting.
1: You don't have time really, right? You really sort of cramped for time. So, but you know, this is something I spoke, one one of my really good, um, colleagues and mentor, uh, she's a lady that has four kids and produces obnoxious amount of really outstanding research and, um, I, I asked her, you know, at some point about these rituals and, and it's very much in line with what you're saying that actually the more busy you get, um, the more you, you know, prioritize your family time or your private time for really good quality time. But then you really, you don't sort of sit and flip through, as you, as you say, you know, Megan and Harry updates for half an hour. But you, oh, geez, really you didn't forget that, that down, one, right? did you? <laughs> Uh, i need to tease you a bit but you know the, what i mean it's really it's really it really kind of forces you to to be efficient and, and and focus
0: yeah and also i think find your your space so I was, I was joking a bit when you said about that moment in the morning i think it's also about finding the time where you're most productive right so if for me that's evenings I've, mm. it, it's totally night work. Uh, I feel like there's nothing distracting me. There's nothing, there's maybe also no alternative to do, right? At 11 o'clock at night, right? Yeah. Um, uh, that does definitely doesn't mean that I work, only work in the evening or that I work every evening. No, clearly not. But I find that after lunch, that's when my time is for writing. So whether that turns into an mm-hmm. evening or not, doesn't matter. But in the morning I do all my calls and I do my chats with students and I really try to get everything squeezed into that now clearly that never works out that way um or but that's at least the starting point right i try to mm. get those calls in uh, particularly now when we're working so much from home is to not go from call to call every day uh s- squeezing off toilet breaks and all this type of stuff like really focus that in the morning and have the afternoons for uh, for 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 research um and it's it's really like what we said and i think that's what i'm only confirming is is to have these blocks in in my day that you know, are designated for, for research or designated for... Uh, Lunch
1: for or going for, out for, 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 food. for a walk, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very bizarre time. No, but I agree with you. And I need to say that actually, you know, these days my sort of rituals and my schedule looks very similar to yours. I'm just always been, um, you know, my partner really believes in the same thing of what you say, that the best work is actually done evenings and nights, actually. I kind of from, you know, strictly social perspective, I always try to really fight it because I actually also, you know, there is something about the fact that you don't get emails, you don't get phone calls right at the evenings, you really have this peace and quiet. But you know, I just always kind of was trying to aim for um, more balanced life in that regard. So but but ultimately that's very true that I think that evenings you're kind of being left alone. So so a lot of the work is done. But you know, just to wrap up those items, I think the rituals are also about understanding at different periods. You know, understanding that there are periods in which you are more systematic and you kind of don't need to work that much. But then also understanding, because I think that at some point people also feel uh, quite bad that they workaholics or it's too much or et cetera. But, you know, there are also peers, there are there is time to have fun, but there is also time that for two weeks you need to work like crazy. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is a message that particularly I hope that by any chance if any of our students have been listening so far, that that resonates with them because I think that everyone is so stressed these days and and, and working a lot is almost frowned upon to a certain extent. But I think at periods in which, you know, you want to excel, you want to achieve something great, You need to also probably invest a bit more, but try to make sure that you have some parts of rituals of your days that set you up in a positive way for sustainable. Yeah, for relaxation, right? right? I've
0: I've always looked at it like I think I'm on the same page as you. It's like I don't mind working hard, but I don't want to work hard all the time. So evenings are from for me, weekends as well, but if it's necessary, I'm happy to do it. And I think there's two more things that I'd like to add. And I think we can uh, round it up, like you said, is um, what I sometimes struggle with is what is productive. Very Mm -hmm. often, and I see this with my colleagues as well, you're only productive if you're doing research. Whereas I think a broader view will actually make us happier as as academics is productivity is also helping out that student or setting up a course or re-evaluating something is or, uh, uh, trying to, uh, get a podcast going, you know, that's also productivity mm-hmm. rather than always focusing solely on research. And I think to close off perhaps is, um, how productive, productive can we actually be in this crisis? I think mm. for a lot of people, a lot of academics, this has just been a, a time of juggling homeschooling with, uh, uh deadlines at work, uh, uh and, and, you know really just getting through it and also being nervous about not meeting their publication uh quota yeah and i think sure. that's why i'm so proud of also working at uh, at Utrecht at this time is they've just totally let go of any type of expectations they've just said look your your health and your mental health is most important to us so just get through it try to make sure that you at least get your teaching done and we won't or at least we'll take this into account in the future whether it come in terms of promotions or in terms of evaluations like this is a time where we need to stick together instead of like focusing solely on you know uh, having 15 publications a year which yeah. is a sort of an exorbitant amount that we which you would never achieve but you, you get you get the gist of what i'm saying
1: yeah, for sure. No, but I think that's also upload, uploadable, you know, for, for institution to provide um, that type of support undoubtedly, undoubtedly. Um, The one uh, last thing, and I promise to be very brief, is that also, you know, someone made a comment that we really calculate amount of teaching hours and admin hours, how much time you spend on it. And we always complain that we have too much of it, but we don't put the same quote out in research. You never hear from anyone that they have too much time for research. And I think that, you know, maybe that's also an interesting just food for thought that maybe actually we also should somehow put... This in a kind of, you know, realistic structure that, well, it needs to be if, let's say, I have got 30 and 30 percent here. Well, it needs to be that. uh, It needs to be that 40 percent or, you know, that's probably just something that we would want. But but also just sort of because with our line of work, you could work endlessly. It would never be. End, right. So I am.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, that sounds like a bit of a depressive thought, actually, when you say it like that. But <laughs> I think it's not. Uh, that's how I'm interpreting.
1: Well, it's, it's interesting. I yeah, think for that's sure. What it's, yeah, you're, it's no, you're right. you can sort of always sort of dig deeper and find different things. I think like,
0: you've given me idea for, and this is going to be a massive cliffhanger, which which people will look forward to greatly, or at least I hope. <laughs> um, <laughs> we need to discuss. I think uh, uh, the the whole debate of recognition and. Um, yeah how we evaluate academics and there's a big debate going on in the Netherlands about can you become a full professor just based on teaching or mm. should you be able to become uh to grow in whatever way not just through the ranks but perhaps in salary or through recognition of other aspects not just through massive grants but also through making a podcast right yeah so I think that, that's I'm a, that's to a nice points. topic to to touch upon for um, sure and let's uh, let's go with that. Um, and um, this was Bistec, the Public Procurement Podcast.
1: This was Bistec, the Public Procurement Podcast. Do you want to contribute to today's discussion and share your thoughts on LinkedIn or Twitter? Do you have an idea for a future episode? Write to us at www.bistecpodcast.com.